about two thirds of um, coverage of people covered in the United States are paid for by employers, public employers and private employers. And that's been true for a very long time. And as a consequence, if they are going to have any effect on the system, then they have to work together to use their power as purchasers to control healthcare costs and also ensure quality and safety. Welcome to Broken Benefits. I'm your host, Lee Lewis, and this is a podcast where we learn from top employer experts on how to fix our broken benefits. Welcome back everyone to Broken Benefits. So excited to be able to visit with you today. My name is Lee Lewis, your host, and today's uh, today's guest is Helen Darling. Helen has made an entire career out of controlling healthcare costs, both starting inside actually a hospital, working on setting rates and, and controlling their costs before working in both consulting and then ultimately for, you know, leading benefits for a Fortune 100 employer. And uh, during all of that time, and then ultimately at the, towards the latter part of her career, both joining boards and leading the National Business Group on Health, she was the primary lead business voice in Washington advocating for jumbo employers. And during that time, passed some revolutionary new changes that ushered in really the, the reporting of modern quality scores. And we are so excited to be able to learn from her. Helen, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. Oh, my, my pleasure. So I guess sort of starting off, tell us a little bit about how, how you think about the problem. Why is it that our costs are so high and why has it always been so challenging to get quality where it's so easy in other industries? Well, because it is a big, complicated system that affects literally millions and millions of people. And um, it's expensive because we're a country that doesn't, um, let's say we, we want to have the best in the world of everything. And right. we have many industries involved in that. And each one, of course, is driven by its own emphasis on a best product and then also making it available to the public. So, and we have, we have um, professionals in healthcare that are very well paid as they should be, uh, but you sort of add it all up and then you tell people that basically you can, you can have what you might think you want. And oh, by the way, your employer or the government's gonna pay for it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you get what you think you need. And so everything sort of works together to drive up costs. It's, it's not surprising people use all sorts of anecdotes like, well, what if I said to you, if you need a new car and you want um, the best there is, and you have a dealer who's saying, yes, I can help you. And oh, by the way, most of it's gonna be paid for by somebody else. You know, healthcare is different in some ways and in other ways it's quite similar to other consumer goods. Everyone, now just a quick word from today's sponsor. Lemonade for 50 cents for a good cause. This situation seems terrible, right? Well, what if I told you it actually happened in the United States in 2021? These are the families of people who work for companies just like yours. Give your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. you've made a career out of helping employers or use the vantage and the levers available to large employers, as have I, to, to impact cost. Why is it that employers are the best situated to, to use their power to improve the system? Well, about two thirds of um, coverage of people covered in the United States are paid for by employers, public employers and private employers. And that's been true for a very long time. And as a consequence, if they are going to have any effect on the system, then they have to work together to use their power as purchasers 
to control healthcare costs and also ensure quality and safety. The government actually mostly sets its own rates and, and on a per capita and a per service basis, actually government agencies pay less on that basis because they control it. There's basically government rate setting. Um, but the private sector gets stuck with picking up the, the, if you will, the excess, what hospitals and physicians and others feel like they're underpaid on the public side so they can charge a little more on the private side. So if, it, if large employers and all private employers don't get together and work to try to change the delivery system we're buying into, it's probably never going to change. Mm. Or if it does, it's probably not going to be in a way that benefits us, right? The, right? the opposition is very well organized. They're, they're very focused on how to increase rates, extract more, perform more, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they, and, you know, our political system, and this isn't a political statement, it's just a, a, a it's what our political system is. Reality. We're sort of organized. So if you're, if you're in a particular category, you've got lobbying organizations, you've got organizations that make certain that members of Congress and senators are supported in order to take the right position from their point of view. And, so we have this very elaborate system, huge system, and Washington DC is full of people, as you know very well, whose job it is to make sure that at least what, what they produce and what they want to have done uh, is not changed in any way from what it is, again, especially on the private side. That's exactly right. The hospitals aren't gonna disrupt themselves. The government isn't gonna change everything because there's people lobbying on both sides. Uh, Insurance companies aren't going to disrupt themselves. They've got a good thing going, apparently. Uh, they're all huge and have stock prices that go like this. It seems like the only the only ones who are aligned really are the employers. And the market, as a truism, the market delivers what the customer demands. Why is it then that the market is delivering stuff that no customer wants right now? Well, if you're talking about healthcare, you know it isn't clear whether that's what they don't, don't want. In other words, you, you've got you've got em, employees and their family members who are covered by employers. The employers can look at what's happening and say, "We have a you have a pay package." And and this is by the way, this is one of the things that we did as benefit managers was to early on say you know, help your own employees and dependents to understand that they are getting fewer raises, they're getting less in their pay to, for a discretionary income to live on because every year the healthcare system is gobbling up another six or 8%. So for example, in 2022, family coverage but for employers is about $22,000. So if you've got an employee who's, who's paid 60,000, you know, they're not getting what would be 82,000, they're getting 60,000, the healthcare system's getting the other 22. Just even help them understand that if we don't collectively work to control healthcare costs, more and more of their pay package will be eaten up by increases in the health system. I want to think about that. You actually, I've met very, very few employers who have successfully, you know, leveraged their buying power, especially, especially as part of a group in order to make significant fundamental change. I mean, we, we want to have that happening all the time. That's part of why I'm so excited to talk to you. Tell us how you did it, if you wouldn't mind. Maybe walk us through the story of how you how you brought together a coalition and made a significant change. Well, so first you have to think about as a, if you're a corporate benefits leader, you have to think about you have two broad uh, parts of your strategy. One is to make sure that the benefits that you provide, especially the healthcare benefits, well-being, productivity are designed in a way to support the most effective and efficient value for the employee, family members, for the employee.
employer and for shareholders if it's a corporation or the taxpayers if it's a public employer. So you, you want that and, and getting that right is harder than it sounds. I could spend more time on it and maybe later, but just th that. But then the other piece is as long as you are and you and they are buying into a delivery system that's dysfunctional and isn't working for value, quality, safety, and all the other things you would want, um, then, you know, you're just sort of chasing. It's like, you know, somebody, a dog is chasing their tail. I mean, you're not, That's right. you, you can't, you can't be successful. You're always going to be, your employees are going to say, give us more coverage because it's costing more. And you're saying, right. you know, we can't do that. We can only give you so much. Otherwise we have to change our workforce plans. And we're saying the delivery system, if you want large employees, if you want employers to continue to support you to ensure the best, highest quality, safe, system that's cost-effective and evidence-based, if you want all those things and to be paid fairly, then you have to work with us to make certain that we're taking waste out of the healthcare system, that we're making certain that we are buying services that are clearly evidence-based, highly effective. And um, I mean, just to give you one little example, uh, when I was at Xerox, I asked the, um, our third party administrator to give me a report of the top 10 uh, costs for pharmaceutical and, and medical care for, for people. And the, the, I, I was stunned by this. This was the most shocking thing I ever learned was that the top 10 that year were um, for young boys, teenagers, who were getting human growth hormone, which by the way, is not a good thing just starting. I mean, it's downright bad and dangerous. Right. Um, I was stunned by that. So I, you know, I went back to the, to uh, our plan and I said, you know, this, because it happened without anybody knowing it, we didn't actually have any screens that would say, if a doctor prescribed this, that they would at least have to have a doctor to doctor conversation about right. is this appropriate medically? Some kind of screen first. Right. So and, just... and we had that in other areas, you know, like, um, you know, sure. you, you... chemotherapy or something. Yeah. But, um, but we didn't even know about this. So we, we looked at it, it turned out that it was totally inappropriate in every case. And we basically put in and said, if it's approved by a subject matter expert in the medical community in this situation, then we cover it. If it's not, we don't. So, you know, you, then we're sending a signal to the health system that's saying you should be making certain that they're not physicians prescribing something that is not evidence-based. Right. So, and then, you know, in, in working through the National Business Group on Health and other business groups and other organizations, including physician specialty societies. So one of the things that we learned and did from the very beginning is most physician specialty groups and good hospital groups are really committed to the same things we are. But we have to get organized and work together to make sure that, for example, inappropriate uh, radiology is not being used. In this case, inappropriate drugs are not being used. Uh, surgery is not being done that's inappropriate, that sort of thing. You work with surgeons. You don't try to do that on your own because you want to make sure you're getting the best care for everybody that's evidence-based. And the, the surgical groups, we worked with the American College of Surgery, the American Medical Association, American Board of Internal Medicine, the oncologist. So we would work, go together with them because they frequently had standards and criteria themselves. They did training mm. around these things, but we could push from our side for our reasons and they could push from their side and we accomplished more. And that's how we came up with performance measures in, quality and safety in the healthcare system. <laughs> I love that. So this was an example of uniting the customer to demand things that the, the market needs to deliver. And so if if I were to create a, a to-do list, if, if I'm thinking about this right, it's 
you identified, you first, you, you got to know your data and understand where there were low value pools of, of dollars that were, that were sort of going out of your plan. Then second, rather than just trying to beat up the insurance carrier, you said, okay, what are the providers that are doing this? You found it, which was right at the source, because you know somebody's doing it in order to make money, and that, and that means that the incentives right. are there for them to do so. So you said, okay. Then you found the the relevant sort of self governing associations or boards, etc., that that sort of are over that particular specialty. Called a meeting with them as a united voice of customers and said, "Hey, this is happening." This is clearly low value. It's not right. It's not certainly not a good look for your specialty. So I'm, I would imagine there's some sort of shame and embarrassment that comes through some of that if if people have started to go kind of awry, and and then instituted kind of recommendations to get it under control, and that worked. Yeah, and the combination. I think the combination of making the appropriate plan design changes, which is what you you can yourself do um, and working with the people who are on the professional side of this, these services, and you're doing it, you know, you're not, you're not trying to shame people. You're not trying to upset people. You're trying to make certain that patients are getting what they need and what is evidence-based and justified based on science. I mean, you're helping them, um, I'll give you a positive example in a way that it actually costs a little bit of money, but it's, it, it makes the same point. Um, when I was at Xerox, we had sadly um, a, a number of uh, employees with multiple sclerosis mm. at, um, you know, obviously it's a degenerative disease. It, it has a long, a long effect. And at that time, we had a disability program and health benefits program that, that had written in the language, if it doesn't improve care, this is actually true, by the way, of the Medicare program too, then it's not paid for. So physical therapy, if, if it's not making you better, we don't pay for it. So it was trying to originally intended to avoid paying for chronic care, right, which could be endless. But in the case of multiple sclerosis, it turned out, and we found this by looking at it and, and talking to patients and doctors, that with multiple sclerosis, more physical, continuing physical therapy instead of cutting it off actually helps the patient to be more functional. And in this instance, actually continue to work, which is what they were doing. So we put in, we made a plan design change in the plan design document. So the benefits people on your, on your goal will sure. know, know what I mean by that. They just basically said, and if it, it maintained the condition as opposed to got better, um, we will cover it. You know, it has to be, you know, case managed and all that. So we overnight, we could provide a service that actually helped patients improve their quality of lives it was exactly what we should be doing. But that's, you know, those are, those are the kinds of things that an employer has a huge uh, impact on. I think one thing that stands out is that your plan design is the voice of the employer, is that that is how... <coughs> Our plan design is how we exercise our voice. It's how we create and realign incentives and how we communicate through dollars to all of our suppliers, our providers, to let them know what is appropriate and what isn't. Excellent. Just exactly right. You really nailed it. I've never thought about it that way before. That's, I love that as a, as a principle. How, so now thinking about it, okay, benefits executives, they have a sort of an invisible constituency that that forms that I think is in many ways unique to benefits where if I'm at if I'm at Xerox or, you know, or AT&T or Verizon or American Airlines or any large employer, 
my job in healthcare is to create a benefits plan that reimburses appropriate covered services to keep my people happy and healthy. Great. Um, but you know, the, the sort of the invisible subtext of it though, is that I actually have a voice that can shape the entire marketplace and the things I do for better or worse can either entrench actually bad behaviors that are already in place and reinforce them, or I can be a voice to shape change and make differences that goes way beyond the families who, who work for my employer. That's a little bit weird. I mean, that's a responsibility that goes outside your walls and you're not paid for that necessarily. You're, you're paid to make a great health plan for your own employees. How, how should we think about this sort of secondary shadow constituency that every employer has that they didn't ask for, but these benefits leaders, I mean, the finance team probably doesn't have to worry about changing the world of finance for all the other employers. Operations and marketing aren't trying to change the world of marketing for other employers, but in benefits, yeah, like with a large employer, you can shake, you can shape the health and community of thousands of families who don't even work for you. How, how should we think about and harness that, that responsibility? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I agree with you. But, but, you know, when you think about it, if you're a manufacturing facility, you don't just want to make sure that equipment that comes to you or that you use is good for your company and your employees when it comes through the door. Mm. What you want to be sure is that there's an industry out there that is producing the kinds of innovations that everybody benefits from, starting with you, of course, but nonetheless, the world is better off. And there are other examples, education. Um, we, you know, I've worked with companies that were, say moved uh, manufacturing that moved to Tennessee. They suddenly care a lot about the educational system down there when they move there. Guess what? Because their workers are recruited from that community. So mm. they make certain they have, you know, functional, literate, capable, analytically thinking employees. They have to make certain that this is a good school system. And they have to make sure the highways are good because you don't want them having accidents like they do in India coming to your location. You know, you, there's, a, there's an ecosystem that you function in and the ecosystem is important to your success. It's it really not is. just good civic responsibility, although that's important too. You should be a good organization to start with. You just, that's right. a better thing. But by making certain that you have a better system that people are involved in, whatever the system is, then you are going to be more successful as an employer, as a business. And you really see it, you see it in the biggest companies and how much time that, that people like Jamie Dimon spend on really big issues. Um, right. Because we all benefit, including them or particularly them. And I think with healthcare, especially, it's such a big, complicated system that, and most employers, well, big employers tend to be, they can be all over the globe, but in the United right. States, they may be in a lot of different locations. So what works and what's effective and efficient for them may vary by location. So you not only want to be working in some ways at a sort of larger all purchaser level, but in separate areas, you want to be working with other businesses and other employers and the professional community, doctors, hospitals, and others, because <laughs> that's the way you get things done because all healthcare is mostly local. That's right. That's right. I, I sometimes hear that, you know, the moniker of, well, what happens if we s spend all this time and energy helping people to get healthier and then they leave? And of course, the answer being, well, what happens if what happens if you don't spend that time and energy helping to be healthy and they stay? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it sort of hits on both sides. But I love I love the perspective of if you use your voice to make the care better and the delivery better in your communities, that strengthens all the people in that community. And that's your pool of recruits. Right. 
because every year you're going to be refreshing 20% of your workforce. Where are they coming from? They're coming from your competitors in those communities. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're healthy and productive and, and also not for nothing, uh, I know Dave Chase has done a lot of reporting on this is that as healthcare, there's a, there's a direct inverse correlation between education spending by the government and healthcare spending by the same government for the same school districts that these runaway increasing healthcare costs, you know, are offset by reduction in investment in things like education. And if you can make things better, you, you improve families in so many different other ways. That's a, I love this stakeholder view outlined. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you realize that we, that we were lacking quality measures? I mean, what, what was the vision you had that said, Oh, wait a minute. Like there's this thing that should exist that doesn't because most people can't see things that are invisible. Right. So um, that actually started obviously a long time ago. um, But in, in, in this context, particularly, one of the things that is when I was working with Xerox uh, and in Xerox, Xerox is a company that was put a, a, a tremendous emphasis on performance measurement. I mean, everything was measured, everything was tracked. I mean, it was just essential. So then when, when we started developing a benefit plan and a strategy around health plans. So we were going to put in a program that benchmarked on efficiency health plans with each other. So we would offer to employees, you give them choice because we know Americans like choice and when you take it away, they get very upset. (laughs) That's right. They had a choice, but what we did was give them a fixed benefit allowance. And it was a very generous one. It was actually 120% of the cost of the benchmark health plan. So then we said, all right, so another health plan that was 20% more than the benchmark was going to cost you your full allowance, whereas otherwise, if you went to the benchmark plan, you got extra money because to put on dental care and stuff like that. So what we found was just by by benchmarking them in a way, we were able to see, and this was done with the help of analytical quantitative consultants, that we could say that if you if you went into the FIFA service plan where you had kind of unlimited choice, you it would be more like 140% of the benchmark plan mm. because it was it was the most expensive plan because it paid for everything to everybody. And there were, you know, no managed care, no case management, none of those things. So by, by doing that, we said to people, you choose. And then of course, being smart Xerox people, they would say to us, well, how do we choose? How do we know that this is a better plan? And that's when we said to the plans and we five of us large employers got together and said to the health plan community, we're going to measure you guys, you know, we're going to track on quality customer satisfaction and all the metrics that we now know and take for granted, how much preventive care is done, our mental health services treated in a stingy way or things like that. So we're saying to the plans, We're going to hold you accountable. And oh, by the way, and this was the other really important contribution, we're going to put out report cards. So we actually created report cards for the entire country for Xerox employees, but for the plan. So when you got your open enrollment package, you got a report that at the top showed that the benchmark plan, which let's say in California might have been the Kaiser plan, and then we'd have health NAD and da 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 and our fee for service plan. And in some of those, we would say like the customer set the member satisfaction uh, metric was something that was like 80% member satisfaction. Another plan might have 90%. And we even did something which um, I have to say, 
created more in the long term <laughs> created more problems but we actually put in in the in the uh, form if if a plan did not submit the data we we actually put in there uh, uh, unwilling to report data and all of that created a great firestorm i got to tell you um but it you know it really got everybody's attention so we still and that's so to this day the metrics for those of you who know this world of HEDIS, yeah. health health employer uh, data and information said we invented HEDIS by doing that we're again working there were five of us employers who led it working with uh, the HMO group at the time and and three health plans who were willing to work with us Hmm. Develop the measures, and we and they still exist today. They're still collected today. Yeah, no, every everybody familiar with HEDIS measures yeah. and scores. I had always assumed HEDIS was created just from CMS or something like that. That it was a initiative that came through. I had no idea until I I learned about you that that was created by employers. What a what a great heritage. So <clears throat> to be to think tactically about it then you and four other employers wanted to have health information reporting um that uh and you did you want the government to collect that or for the hospitals to provide it or for insurance companies to provide it one of the health plans um, okay yeah no government um insurance carriers you yeah. needed them because they interact with all the hospitals right yeah yeah but also, I mean, they're the accountable ones. I mean, we we were we were encouraging people to either choose or not choose health plans. United HealthNet, Kaiser, you name it, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all those. Um, so we are, in a sense, potentially driving uh, employees and their dependents to them. I mean, these are their customers. So we're saying to them, you need to be collecting information so that the customers we're encouraging to sign up with you can feel confident that you are working hard to make certain that their care is uh, customer sensitive, high quality safety, they're getting good preventive care, they're not, they're not holding back on mental health services. In those days, managed care, the big fear about managed care was that they would, they would not give you services that you wanted because right. all, they, they made money if they could yeah. keep the money right so right. there's this fear that they would not be given everything they should that was medically and clinically appropriate and so the measures are partly aimed at making certain that the plans are making certain they're collecting the data they're holding their hospitals and uh, physicians and other providers accountable because that was their job, their third-party administrators. And, mm. and so it was reasonable for us to put the responsibility there. But it also gave them, interestingly, the power, if you will, because they have, they have to be able to report this, to be able to say to especially physician groups and, and um, you know, any, anybody that's part of the health plan, we are accountable to our our purchases on behalf of your patients so you need to give us the data everyone now just a quick word from today's sponsor oh i heard you cut off social media yeah actually i uh It was just kind of depressing. Did you know that one in three fundraisers on GoFundMe are for medical bills? And many of these people work for companies just like yours. Start giving your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. That is really important. You, you almost could turn that around thinking today, um, we could quiz ourselves as employers and say, you know, does my 
or in which ways um, are my are my insurance companies is my, my insurance carrier? In what ways is the insurance carrier accountable to me? Mm-hmm. And if you can't easily answer that question, you aren't asking for what you you aren't making the requests you ought to be making as the customer. Because what I'm hearing here is you you got together with some employers, you went to the insurance companies, the the carriers, the health plans, and said, "Hey, we need to hold you accountable to delivering and great care and protecting our people." Right. Which means you, if you're sort of our interface to the supply chain to all the hospitals, you need to go to the hospitals and collect all this right. data, and you must hold them accountable as we are holding you accountable as sort of a scalable way to do that, because then you only have kind of one throat to choke to, to be able to reach out to the national supply chain. Uh, I love that. How, how did you build internal support within your own organization to be out doing this in the marketplace? Cause I know, I know a lot of people would be worried like, Oh, the, the insurance carrier is going to call my boss or the, the board at the hospital is going to call our CEO. I mean, you know, this stuff happens all the time. How do, we, how do we manage for that? Well, it's like everything else. First of all, any communication in, inside a company or an organization has got to be aligned with the communication strategy that they have. So, you know, we all know that one of the most, one of the earliest lessons we learn about business and, and employers is culture trumps everything, right? Mm. So the culture has to be one, for example, where I work, it's always been very transparent and lots of information about everything, trusting employees and, and you know, having a, a, a place where you trust and believe in your organization. You know, they'll treat you right. You know, they're, 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 it's a good organization and you're proud to be a part of it. So your, your communication has to be a, in that same way. And you explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. For example, when we did the health plan benchmarking and measurement, we talked about it in terms of, in this case, the Xerox, it was the Xerox culture was that performance measurement, quality and safety are all core principles of the company. So to, to explain that what we're doing over on here in the healthcare strategy, is aligned with that, it, it, you know, it's easily understood. So you, you, have to, you, you have to do what fits with that organization. And in some instances you have to do, if, if you're at the local level, say you have a region that you're, you're working in Chicago or, or Rochester, New York was a big one. So though the culture of a community is important. So when you're working with physician groups and hospital groups and everything, you, you pay attention to the culture. Um, you know, there are parts of the South I know from, from uh, having been there and worked with some companies there, physicians are very powerful in small, especially rural areas, right? I mean, frequently they're not very many, so they're beloved, of course, and they're very important. So you would want to be sure that you're working with the local medical society on anything to do that would affect physicians. And, and usually, you know, my experience with the physician groups is they're remarkably eager to work with employers. If anything, you know, they feel like they've got all sorts of pressures and they're being pulled hither and yon for lots of different uh, forces. And if you, you come to them and say, we want to make certain that people, for example, um, that there's a, there's a plan design, a benefit plan design that supports travel to certain centers of excellence. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you put that in and not talk to the doctors, but if you talk to the local doctors and explain that you put in a centers for excellence program and people who meet these very specific criteria are going to be able to be referred, you know, then they won't see it as, oh, wait a minute, they're trying to take our patients away. They'll see it as, oh, they're trying to work with me to try to help me deliver the best quality care to local patients. It's using you again, using your voice to insist 
that care improves. <coughs> no employer anywhere, and no employee for that matter, wants to get on an airplane to go get surgery. Right. Nobody wants that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no local surgeon wants you getting on an airplane to go get surgery away from the community where they live. Right. But if the local community is not delivering value, if they have just shirked their responsibility, if they've gotten sloppy, if, if they're, they're not improving the technology, whatever the issue might be, um, then then they deserve not to have that business. But until they have the incentive to improve, they're never going to improve. But what you just brought up is so logical in terms of, hey, engage locally, put in the medical travel benefit, but then let them know, hey, there's a medical travel benefit. And if you do a much better job, you know, <laughs> how, many, how many surgeons get to see good data on what they cost compared to their peers? It's, yeah. you know, it would round to zero as a percentage. I'm confident of that. So the other thing that's important is in all instances where there is a cinema excellence program, the aftercare is delivered locally. So you, you want to be sure that every step that's taken is done in a collaborative and supportive way so that you know, everybody saves face, doesn't, you know, it, and, and they're not upset when they suddenly get somebody who's been off to a center of excellence, but they're the ones who have to do the follow-up care. And that's, you know, there's, there's, there, this is, this, these things are very delicate. Um, and, and by the way, a lot of these things are, are harder and tougher today than they were even before, because we have a shrinking number of physicians, especially general surgeons, relative to the population. They've all sort of lived through COVID and, um, you know, they're burned out and they, you know, some of the ones that are not quite as old just went ahead and retired early. So the, the what they call the, wor the workforce, the health professional workforce has been decimated. So, you know, you want to be sure to do things you don't want to not do them because they're excellent programs. On the other hand, you, you have to do them in a way that is sensitive to both the professions and also to patients and their family members. Um, Centers of Excellence programs, this has been a while since I saw the data, so it may have changed a little bit, but it used to be that about 50% of the time with the Centers for Excellence program, when a patient had the choice, they did not take it. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Even, by the way, and they were given by a nurse the data on survival, improvement, everything. So even in the face of that, I trust my doctor. I, you know, I'm fine. This is a good hospital. <coughs> so you want to make certain that everything is done in a way that the patients understand you're not undermining or taking away from the local doctors because all you're doing is giving them an additional, very, very, very specific benefit that, um, but you're gonna to continue to work collaboratively with the medical community locally. And it, it, it's extremely successful when it's done right. I love that. How do we build a movement? Of how do we find like-minded, brilliant, committed people how do we bring them together and how do you do a multi-employer effort? I, I've been, I mean, I work inside in both an organization who does this and I've attempted to do it many places and seen it happen. It is, it is rare like rain in a desert when it works. Tell us how you succeeded. Well, so I think first you do need um, an organization, uh, whether okay. it's you go to an organization and say, this is what we want to do. Will you work with us? Like we did with the National Committee for Quality Assurance, we were developing HEDIS. We asked them to work with us to do that because we knew that they had an organization committed to that. You can go to a transformation alliance or a business group, or uh, if it's local, if it's a particular region, they're usually regional business groups, uh, purchases, coalitions, 
So you find the organization that's most relevant to what you're trying to do and just say, we need to do this. You do need leadership. Somebody just has to be willing, like everything else in life, willing to take it on. And um, it's a, it is a part, it's part time. I mean, it's going to be part of your real job. But on the other hand, the, the gratification and the satisfaction that comes from making a difference and as big and as complicated system as healthcare is it's there. It's really, uh, you know, you can sleep better at night knowing you, you're, instead of just complaining that you're actually working on it. And what you find is that if, if at least one other person is willing to lead that others will get on board. You just need a kind of organizing principle and organizing people. And, and, and most of them really, most, most people really understand the set of problems and understand what purchases can do and should do. You just need to help them. It's like, again, everything else in life, you know, you, you host a meeting these days, maybe it's by Zoom, you host a meeting and say, this is what needs to be done. And most, most people will say, yeah, that's right, that needs to be done. And you say, oh, by the way, this is what we're gonna do. And okay, I can do that. You know, it mm. just, you just have to put, you know, the, the therapist would say one step in front of the other, uh, you, mm -hmm. know, it, you know, okay, this is what we're doing tomorrow. This is what we're doing next week. Um, and then I think also there's, there's a lot to be said for um, helping your employees and your C-suite to understand what you're doing and why. Interestingly, most of the C-suite are, are the people who really understand these things. They understand that you don't just sit there hunkered down delivering a set of benefits. You you have to work to make a better system while you're also helping to take care of employees. I mean, to give you one other example, right now, um, you know, mental health services top of mind for everybody. Mm -hmm. right? um, we know it's always been a problem and been an issue and people have always wanted, needed them, um, but it's worse than ever. And we also now with growing recognition that underrepresented communities have a set of problems that those who are not underrepresented don't have. So one of the things you can do is to make certain that when you're rolling out mental health service improvements or expansion or benefits or whatever it is, you're making certain that the people who are delivering that are sensitive to and understand the importance of individuals who have been especially harmed by racism mm -hmm. or discrimination or their, uh, you know, the social determinants that make their lives harder. You know, just right. you can simultaneously do two really important things. And, and that's, that's something else that's just about leadership. And, and once you, as I think in your programs, a good example, once people hear about these things, they usually say, oh, of course, I didn't think about that. And then they, right. they do it. Yeah, there's a, you know, there's a kind of rolling in improvement or extension of almost all good ideas once they're yes. out. I have heard, I, I heard of a study that measured it even, and that, that truly good ideas are infectious like a like a virus mm -hmm. that they they spread and they grow and they 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 you they're measurable inside of any type of uh, ecosystem uh, with you know or or sociological ecosystem right. and I think that's exactly right and if if you are out and sharing and providing an example and and leading you will have the opportunity to influence many others. And one thing that you, you said that I, I think is the key, <clears throat> if I want to do a movement with lots of employers and I try to find nine other colleagues or heck, two or three other colleagues and have all of us lead together to take action, I think the likelihood of success is very small. But if I say I am doing something, I'm taking action, I don't care who or if anyone follows me, but I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. And I invite you to join me. 
that can actually have an impact because people are willing to hop in right. and and the 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 sim the the simple bold step forward by one employer taken unilaterally can very easily inspire followers well i think every most people get up every day and want, want to have a good day you know they want to they want to do well they they want to be happy they want to feel that you know the, the their little world is better off at the end of the day than it was at the beginning that you're doing something that makes a difference whether it's something in your own family or if it's one other colleague or it's you name it so if you can put together help put together for them so in a sense you're you're bringing out what's what's there in them i mean they 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 want to make a difference they want to be successful they want to have employees that love their benefits that you know, that they tell the C-suite that, um, you know, we got the best benefits in the world. You know, you, mm -hmm. these are all things that um, we're, we're, we're human, we're, we're social beings. And we want, most of us want to be a part of something that is positive and good. And in some instances, certainly bigger than any of us right. um, can be very, very gratifying. And that's, that, that's what, I mean, organizations, again, like the business group where I was and Xerox and, and uh, all the purchaser groups around the country, that's what gets people excited. It, you know, and, and there's so much that can, especially these days, I hate to say it, but can kind of drag you down. But if you can, if you can find two or three things every day, even small increments that you work on that are helping to solve problems, then you're going to be a lot happier when you go home at night and, you know, with your family. And then you've got something in some instances to tell your kids, you, you know, the kids yeah. say, what do you do? What do you do, dad? You know, um, yeah. you can say, well, this is what I do. And oh, by the way, I'm trying to help people get a better something, you know, I mean, I love it. That's life. No, that's exactly right. Is the assumption should be, should be that we all have that there. And if we can create easy ways to inspire people to take those actions and make it easy and simple for them to do so, everyone benefits from yeah. being able to make the system better. What a, what a great sentiment to finish on. Um, if anyone is, if anyone's interested in, in connecting with you and learning a little bit more um, about what you do, uh, where's a place they could, could find you or connect with you? Yeah, well, my uh, my email is Helen Darling, one word at Comcast.net. Okay, really great. simple. You're on. Uh, are you on LinkedIn as well? I am. Yes, I am. Yeah. That may not be the best way to get through to you. We'll we'll stick with the first. But yeah, either, no, either fine. I mean, I think that's okay. I don't. I get reached out to, so I assume that that works. <laughs> that, that works. Well, perfect. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today with Helen Darling. Uh, what a treat to learn about how to how to have an influence in multiple stakeholders, how to make the system better from the standpoint of inside one employer and really just a, a message of hope and encouragement. If this was helpful to you, please feel free to send, send this link to a friend or colleague who might be able to benefit from this as well. And as always, thanks so much for joining here on Broken Benefits. Thanks for joining us on Broken Benefits. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, please share today's show with a friend or colleague. It's free to do and it helps us spread the message to as many people as possible. Until next time.